Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, it's nine o'clock, time to get started. Um, before we start, I'd like to have a short prayer. Would you bow with me? Lord, Father, our great God, we give you praise and we give you thanks. You have blessed us above all in this world. You have given us your Son, and you have healed us, Father, from the from the sin that that so diseased us and, and continues to. But through your Son, we've been healed. Through your Son, we are now able to be in a relationship with you. Thank you for your blessings of the word and the message that you gave uh, from thousands of years ago. And Father, as we study Amos, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to his message so that we can understand truly what you want of your people. Thank you, Father, for your, your gift. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, as we were going through uh, Amos, I felt it would be, a, would be not a bad time to take a short break, because after all, I'm going to take a somewhat longer break for the next... Uh, for next week and the week after when I'll be away for, well, next week we'll have a joint class uh, in the auditorium with the teens. Uh, and then the uh, following week I'll be in Guatemala visiting uh, our missionaries that we have there. And then when I get back, I'm going to take two more weeks and I'm going to finish up the ninth chapter of Amos. And then I want to do a short recap or maybe a long recap, but a recap. So to begin with, I thought that it might be of some advantage for those people who uh, aren't familiar with the geography of, of Israel, if we took a quick look at it, because there's some names and places in there that come up repeatedly in Amos, in his, his chapter. So we have... I'm going to pick out four places and why, and we'll discuss a little bit about why they're important to the people of Israel. Why are they important, uh, not just to the people in the kingdom of Israel, but certainly that, but also in Judah. Very important places uh, in their history, uh, back through the patriarchs. And so the places I've, that we see in, the, in uh, Amos' prophecies, uh, there's four in particular, Bethel, Beersheba, Gilgal, and Dan. So it might be nice to know a little about maybe where they are and why they'd be important. So let's start with, with Dan. Dan is way up here. That's where Dan is. My all the way down here is Beersheba. So you got Dan and Beersheba, and you'll find that there's an expression uh, in that's that's in Israel or in with the Hebrews when they talk about all of Canaan, 
that was uh, conquered, they will say from, from Dan to Beersheba, or Beersheba to Dan. I've seen it both ways. And then they will also add Gilead. Gilead is here. It's the region to the east of the Jordan River. And of course, you have the Dead Sea, you have uh, the Sea of Galilee, and I can't remember the name of that one, and the Jordan starts up here. So we have these two, these two cities, or towns, and the importance of them. So let's look at Beersheba. Beersheba is very ancient in the, in the scriptures. Uh, it was at the very south end of, the, of Canaan at the time of Abraham. Uh, in Genesis 20, Abraham moves into the area of the Negev. Now, when he came in, he journeyed from Haran, up in here someplace, and he came down this way. And if you look at this, there's a, uh, this is the, a ridge, you might say, or a series of low-lying mountains. But he came down there, and he was headed for the Negev. The Negev is a southern region. Uh, it's mostly desert. This is Edom right here. Mount Seir is over here, if I'm not mistaken. And here we have Beersheba, and that's where he, where Abraham was heading. Um, the south end of Canaan, it's near the desert, uh, called the Desert of Negev. Uh, here Abraham tells uh, one of a pair of, uh, of falsehoods, similar ones, telling kings that Sarah's is not a... Didn't say he's her, she didn't say she's not my wife. She, he says he's my, she's my sister. Well, technically is correct because she is a, a half-sister of Abraham's. But regardless, when he tells it to Abimelech, God sort of punishes Abimelech but warns him. Stay away from her. And so down here in Beersheba, that area, not, not in Beersheba, but in that area is where Abimelech, who was a king of, uh, in, over here in uh, Philistia, and, or at least in that region, and they make a deal, a bargain, to, because of the affront that, that occurred because of this lie, and uh, Abraham gave seven ewe lambs, I think it was, seven uh, uh, to the king of Bimelech, and they made a pact. And that's where the name Beersheba comes from. Means seven wells, or wells for seven, or uh, another, uh, another version of that was wells of oath. They made an oath of friendship, or at least lack of enmity. Uh, it was all over. The, the importance of Beersheba is because there's a well there. Wells are very important. Uh, it's a very dry area. As I said, this area down here is desert. Uh, also in the same area, this, Isaac is born here. And he's in this area, and he is... And at that time, Abraham, if you remember, uh, he forces Hagar and Ishmael out of, of the camp. 
out of the family uh, compound area, and they go down into the desert of Beersheba. Uh, it's here in, in the desert of Beersheba where God hears the cries of Ishmael, and the blessing is given, or at least the prophecy and the blessing, is given to Hagar and to Ishmael. So it's very important there. Um, when Isaac, remember Isaac was, was living here. Uh, ah, got the wrong person there. But when Isaac was living here, when Jacob hightailed it out for his life because Esau was going to kill him, he started in Beersheba. Uh, later on, uh, when he's when uh, Israel, after he's been Jacob's and renamed, is headed down to Egypt, which is over here, he makes he stops in Beersheba, and he uh, makes uh, makes a sacrifice, and he has a vision of of God in Beersheba. Lots of things happening in Beersheba with the patriarchs. It's a very important area. That was their center. Um, and so we'll go uh, and then look at Dan because it's the other end of the t end of the area. And Dan is at the far north of Israel. Uh, it entered uh, his, Israel's history during the time of the judges. You'll find it in chapter 17 of Judges. Uh, here, uh, and th that's an interesting one because of those tail end of Judges, if you ever, if you look at them, uh, between the story of Micah and the, so, and that I'm going to be bringing up in Dan, and then there's another one about the, uh, the Levite in Bethlehem. And there's almost like two appendices to, uh, to Judges, uh, which basically the whole statement was that there was no king in Israel, and people did how they, what they thought was right. And so we look at Dan, <clears throat> um, a man named Micah steals a whole bunch of silver from his mother. She curses the person that has the silver, and he comes and says, and he gives it back to her. Oh, and she says, thank you, my son, and blesses him. And then says, because of this great blessing that I've got my silver back, I want you to have a, 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 a silver idol made for us so that we can worship it. And so Micah has an idol made, and it's covered with silver. And um, then... The problem, what you had of interest is that uh, the Danites are struggling to to conquer the the land where they are. It's just not working out for them. So they decide, well, let's head north. So they head north to a town of, uh, uh, I think it's called uh, Laish or Laish, Laish, uh, and they renamed it Dan. Oh, and they uh, Micah after he gotten his silver uh, idol, he had somehow uh, hired a Levite descendant from, from I think it was Gershom, but I'm not sure. I can't remember the, 
the line, his lineage, but he got a good real live priest, and he hired him to be their private priest at his private temple, if you like, private worshiping place. But when the people of Dan came up, well, they stole the idol, they stole the, the Levite, and they renamed the town, which they had killed all the people in, uh, as Dan. And so it's at the far end of, of Israel, has a long story to it, uh, the last part of which is when uh, Jeroboam breaks with Judah, this is Judah here, and this is Israel, when, when the split occurs, Jeroboam has a problem. Everything's set up so that you're, you've got mandatory festivals here in Jerusalem. I've got to have an alternative for my people. Otherwise, they're going to go down to Jerusalem, and then in one generation, maybe two, they'll go back and they'll merge. And, and uh, Judah will, will triumph. So, he sets up a golden idol in Dan. And he also sets up a golden idol in a town called Bethel. Bethel is, uh, I'm guessing, but I'm saying it's about here. I think it's about 10, 20 miles north of, of Jerusalem. He sets up a golden idol here in Bethel. And... And a golden idol up in Dan. Uh, and so that immediately makes Bethel now a, uh, an abomination, you might say, to God for the idolatry. But let's look at the history of Bethel because it's. Who's setting up the golden idols? Uh, the golden idols were set up there by Jeroboam, the first, the first king of, of, of the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Bethel, I think, is about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. I could be wrong, and it could be a little more, but probably not a little less. Uh, it's first mentioned in Genesis 12. Now, we know that Abraham is moving down south toward the Negev from Haran, and he stops, one of the stops he has in, uh, in chapter 12, 12, uh, he enters Canaan, and between Bethel and Ai, um, which is another town right about here, between those two, he sets up his tents, he builds an altar, and worships God there. And then later, heads down towards Beersheba and the south. Um, when Jacob flees Beersheba for his life going up to Haran he stops for the night here in Bethel well it wasn't Bethel at the time but he stopped in this in what will be Bethel and there he has a vision at night he goes he stops for the night and while and he has a vision that night and he sees angels ascending and descending a ladder or a stairway. And he sees God up at the top. And God blesses him. 
And Jacob names the spot Bethel, the house of God. And then continues on up to Haran. Uh, when the uh, Israelites conquer Canaan, uh, have conquered Canaan, they moved the Ark of the Covenant uh, to here. And we find that in Judges 20, 27, that it was moved to Bethel. And then later, up the road a little piece, a little way, it, it was moved to Shiloh, where at, at the time of Eli uh, and the time of uh, Samuel, uh, the, the ark was up in, uh, in uh, Shiloh. But it started out in, in uh, Bethel. Like Beersheba, it has a lot of patriarchal history to it and is considered a holy place. That's why it got its name, the house of God, because this was a very holy spot in Jacob's mind. So even though it's a it's a the reason why they chose why Jeroboam chose to put his major temple there, his alternate alternative to Jerusalem. And why put a golden calf there? It's very holy to Israel, and for that matter, to Judah. Uh, the history of Bethel was later on during Josiah. That is one of the places he destroyed and desecrated. He did that because of what Israel had done there, the idolatry that was there. Um, Another town that we have, that, that's the fourth of these uh, places, is, and I'm just going to, there's two guesses as to where it actually was, but I'm going to choose this one right here. And that's Gilgal. Uh, Gilgal is important. Uh, let's see. This is important because this is where they crossed the Jordan in the invasion of Canaan. Uh, Jericho is right over here. So this is where they get, where they crossed the Jordan. Uh, things of importance in Gilgal. Um, it was here that they built the pillar of stones taken from the center of the Jordan River when they crossed over and through the dry land or the dry river bottom. Uh, it was here at Gilgal that, uh, the, that the men of, of uh, Israel were circumcised for the first time since the Exodus. While they were marching around for 40 years, there was no circumcision going on. Uh, and there was a mass, so there was a mass circumcision there. Uh, it was here that they set up their headquarters for their main camp for conquering the uh, uh, rest of Canaan. Again, a very, very important part of it. Uh, in the, it you will find in uh, 1 Samuel that Samuel set up a circuit of judging. 
And part of that circuit was in Gilgal. So it's a very important place in the history of Israel. All these Bethel, Gilgal, Dan, Beersheba have special meaning. Uh, Bethel and Dan, uh, Bethel at first because it was where the ark first came, where they planted the ark the first time when they came in, and then desecrated that area with uh, uh, idol worship and the and the uh, golden calves uh, at Bethel and Dan. So they'd be important holy sites in Israel. That's where the two alternatives to Jerusalem were. So, point, uh, yes. Wasn't that the ladder going to heaven that Jacob's name was changed to Israel? Um, make the difference of no, I can't remember. Uh, Richard, do you remember when Jacob has his name changed to Israel? I think it was on his churn, journey I back. back. I think it was on the way back. I think it was on the way back, and I'm not sure where it was where it occurred. It could have been at Bethel, but I don't know. Uh, I. You're calling, you're calling this area now Israel. Well, Israel, it's called Israel because the, the kingdom of Israel, uh, though at the time, and the kingdom of Judah, at the time of the, of the uh, patriarchs, it was Canaan. At the time, uh, right after the uh, invasion and conquest of Canaan, it was, uh, you might call it Israel. <coughs> Names get confusing. So at any rate, those are important. So when we get to, um, let, let's uh, took look at um, chapter 5 of Amos, uh, starting in verse 5. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Why? It was a holy site, but now it's a site of idolatry. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to Gilgal. Or journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile. Every, all those will be exiled. Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Josiah did that. Uh, it doesn't say anything more about Beersheba. Uh, other than that, if you were to make it, it's sort of like for the Arabs are making a Hajj. Well, in Israel, that might be considered this area here, and maybe even Beersheba's as holy sites that they need to go visit. I, I'm just guessing about that. May or may not be the case. That's one example of it. Uh, and we'll, we'll find an, another one we'll run into uh, in a few minutes. But I'll also, I think in the fourth chapter, we have go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years or three days, depending upon uh, how you want to translate that. Uh, I think the uh, literal translation is probably three days. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Well, there we go. We have the sinning at Bethel, sinning at Gilgal. Um, and there's, there's, we'll run into some more... Uh, when we get into chapter 7 and chapter 8, which I think I'm going to launch into right now, 
unless anybody has any questions. Keith? Is Bethel and Gilead? Gilead's Gilead. over here. Is that the area we know of Samaria now? Here, uh, the area that would be come Samaria, and I'm making a guess, but uh, I think it would be this region right in here. I think it would be right around in here what would be Samaria. And, um, and that, in Jesus' time, that's where Samaria would be. And so if you're going from here to Jerusalem, you'd go around, go, go as, you wouldn't cross into Samaria. The Samaria was, um, was inhabited by uh, people who are sort of half-Jews, which is to say they, they moved in from... Uh, other locations in the Assyrian Empire and they like most people they took up the gods of the region. Richard do you have a question? Well, they, statement? These were what was left they intermixed with the people that were left yeah. from uh, the ex uh, from the destruction of yeah, yeah from, from Assyria and and that's that's important because when we'll find here that God says, well, I'll leave a remnant. But the Assyrians, uh, their methodology was to pull the people of the conquered land out and put other people in to mix with what was left so that yeah. there wouldn't be any more uprisings. You're going to dilute the population. And uh, so that's, that's uh, what we have there on uh, what became Samaria. Uh, so num numerous times Israel... Kingdom of Israel is called Samaria or Mount Samaria because that's where their capital was, somewhere up in here. Can't remember exactly where. And it was on the return trip. It was on the return trip. Okay, so that's when that's when uh, Jacob had his name changed. And Jacob's well is at Bethel. Is it Bethel? Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's a special place. These are. Uh, if I'm if I'm in Israel, uh, these are holy places. And so when when uh, Amos comes and starts saying, "I'm just that's going to be destroyed, all of it," they're saying, "How can you destroy these holy places? Bethel is where God was. God came down. He was there with Jacob at Bethel." Of course, the people in, in Jerusalem said sort of the same thing because the temple was there, it's the house of God. He wouldn't dare destroy it. <laughs> no, he was going to hire somebody to do it for him. Um, but the same attitude. So if we go into chapter 7, uh, we find an interesting dialogue between God and Amos. Uh, this is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He shows him three visions. Uh, the first one, uh, he was preparing a swarm of locusts after the king's share had been harvested. That's interesting. He's let the king get the, get the, his first, the first crop, and then he was going to destroy the rest with locusts. So who's going to hurt from that? Yeah, the common people. The people that needed that to survive 
after the king took his cut. And Amos comes back and says, uh, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? And so He is so small. And the Lord relented. And then he shows him another vision. He's going, calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the, uh, the great deep and devoured the land. And I cried, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He's so small. I don't know where the significance in his in Amos asking the Sovereign Lord to forgive up in verse 2 or and just to beg you, beg him to stop in verse 5. I don't know any significance of that. If anyone has any, uh, any thoughts about it, I'd love to hear it. There's one that struck me, but uh, couldn't find any information on it. But God relented, and this won't happen either. And then he shows him a third vision and says, this is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that he had built true to plumbs, just vertical and upright, just like you want to build a wall. Uh, and he did it with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, what do you see, Amos? A plumb line. Then the Lord said, look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. So I'm going to have a standard, a perfect, straight up and down standard. And he's going to use it to judge Israel. And he's, not, he's no longer going to uh, spare them. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. So just like in... In Jeremiah with, uh, with Judah, uh, God is basically saying, this is my doing. My sword will do this, even though it's going to be Assyria that's going to be his tool to do this. God is in control. Assyria is not in control. Babylon wasn't in control. God was. He basically wrote, had these men rise up kingdoms to punish and destroy uh, first Samaria and the kingdom, of, the kingdom of Israel and then the kingdom of Judah. And he's, and he's going to do it. Then there's an interesting uh, sidelight, little further information about who Amos is, but, um, but there's, it's important. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. And that's Jeroboam and Jeroboam the second, uh, not, not the first Jeroboam. Jeroboam the second is reigning at the time of Amos. Uh, and the, Amaziah says, Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel, right here, in the very heart of it, because he's at Bethel right now. The land cannot bear with his words, for this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will 
die by the sword. And Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land, which is what Amos has been saying. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Go where you belong. Stay out of here. Earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Okay, so first of all, he's telling him, don't stop his <coughs> prophesying. Can a prophet stop prophesying? It burns in his bones, said uh, Jeremiah. It just burns in your bones. And I can't stop even if I wanted to. If I try to stop, Jeremiah was saying, it would just burst out. I can't do it. Well, he's telling him, stop prophesying. Go back where you belong. Don't, don't, don't mess with us. Um, go back to Judah. And uh, the interesting, verse 13 is very, very interesting. Um, don't prophesy anymore at Bethel because this is Whose sanctuary? Kings. The king's. It's not God's sanctuary. It's the king's sanctuary and uh, the temple of the kingdom. God got left out in that picture. Of course, he had been left out in that picture since the time of, of Jeroboam I when they built the golden calf. So it's not, nothing new there. It's just that I found it, find it very interesting that he, his statement is it's the king's sanctuary. Nothing about God in that. Very scary when you look at it and you think about it, how far they'd come down. But Amos answered Amaziah, and he gives a little bit more history of himself. Uh, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. Uh, but I was a shepherd, and I took care of, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. Uh, I guess that's his, a second, a second uh, profession for him uh, to uh, to make ends meet. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, "Go prophesy to my people, Israel." Now. Back in 10, he also said, you know, I was summoned by Hashem. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's, prophets can't stop prophesying. The purpose of a prophet is to, is to bring the word of God, and it's usually not a good one. It's usually one of reproof. Didn't work out well to come didn't work out for John. <laughs> you know, in, in 14, where, it, where he says, I'm not a prophet, literally, it probably would be best to say, no prophet am I. Okay. That wasn't where he started out. Now, uh, the implication to me from Amaziah's statement is that it harkens back to the time of Elijah and Elisha when they had the school of prophets. And it's sort of like, imagine, you know, a rabbi and his followers. And so you'd have this prophet, say it's Elijah, 
and he has around him a school of people who he's teaching the law and God's word and their and uh, and teaching them to be prophets. And Amos is saying, "Well, I'm. That's not how I got to be a prophet. My father wasn't a prophet. I wasn't a prophet. But then God tapped me on the shoulder, and God told me you're to go prophesy against Israel. So that's a, another very interesting history that you can see in the, this statement. Uh, no, he wasn't school taught, uh, but he was a, but a prophet that personally called by God to bring his message to Israel. His, he, his teaching is directly from God. And Amos then tells Amaziah what God has instructed him to say. Um, you say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. This is what the Lord says. Your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country or a, an unclean country. And Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Uh, I don't know of anything about that particular prophecy, whether it's uh, true. Um, I assume it's true, obviously. Uh, but I don't know how it was fulfilled. I would assume that when the Syrians came in that they did not kill Amaziah, but, they, but all his children were killed. And his wife was probably just tossed out on the street. And to survive, she may have become a prostitute. Uh, it indicates here that it was the soldiers that she was would harm. Yeah, and, that, and that's not unusual, by the way. Uh, it was not a very... Uh, when uh, Assyria came down, they'd usually come in and wipe out a city, literally wipe it out. And then they'd and they'd kill off all the all the uh, uh, all the elders of the town or their families. They'd rape the wives of the of the uh, of the important people. Then uh, maybe kill the important people. But then they'd send an emissary to the next town down the road. Well, you just saw what happened there. You got two choices: just give up, lay down your arms. And let us take it, or we'll do the same to you. Which do you want? And that, that was not that uncommon. And the Syria was sort of renowned for it. It's a good way of saving your army for the needed battles. You don't want to every town lose people, so you just give them a chance to go up. So, but sure, Israel will surely go into exile uh, away from their native land. Any questions on chapter 7? You were talking about Amos begging God not to send the fire, not to send the locust. It reminds me of how Abraham tried to bargain yes. with God and not destroy Sodom. If I can find a hundred people that are 
Worthy or like hungry. fifty or ten or even one. <laughs> so it almost it, it makes you think of that story. Yeah. And God already knows what He's going to do. He already knows what the answer is. But He gives His servants the opportunity to talk talk them out of maybe some some of the worst. Locusts are interesting. Anybody? Uh, they locust swarms still occur in Africa. Uh, the last one in the United States, I think, was in the late 1800s. Um, it seems that when locusts get too crowded, they morph into another, well, the grasshoppers get too crowded. They morph into, a, a, into the locusts, and, uh, and then they go on a rampage, and they devour everything in their sight, and it's just cloud-blackened with these locusts, they land on it. The field is nothing but desert when they get done. Um, you can't keep them out of your house. Uh, oh, and then they lay their eggs in the ground. And so the next year it starts over again. Think about Egypt. Yeah. Yes. Think about Egypt, one of the plagues. Richard, do you have some comment? Okay. So locusts are interesting, uh, very destructive. You'll read about it in Joel. Uh, another prophet concerning a, a locust uh, swarm that was going to be sent down uh, against Israel. Any other comments, questions? Uh, to add information to your story, so the kingdom has been was all Israel, then it got divided into the northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Right. Northern Kingdom became known as Israel. Mm -hmm. The bottom one, Judah. Yep. And then uh, the King Jeroboam, which you kept talking about, was the king of Israel. The king of Judah was Rehoboam. And the way you can remember that is he was the real son of Solomon. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember it this way. The guy with the J was not the king of Judah. <laughs> so I can only remember Jeroboam was king of Northern Kingdom. So yeah, the Northern Kingdom and Gilead is interesting. You know, this is the uh, that was settled uh, by two tribes, if I'm not mistaken, and I can't remember which two they were. Uh, and they went and Manasseh and Reuben. Manasseh and Reuben. Okay, and then they went in and helped uh, conquer. The men conquer Canaan, then went back to their, when they had done their duty to the uh, rest of the tribes, they went back to Gilead and it was a very beautiful land. They were told they could make their camp on the other side of the Jordan as long as they would go over and help fight. Right. And then they could go back. And then they could go back. But actually, just a half tribe of Manasseh. Yes. Well, it's also Gad and Reuben. Okay, so uh, because when they came up, the road, they said, hey, this is just beautiful. Uh, this is the, uh, oh, let me look, the Amorites? Oh, Ammon. A Ammon, Ammonites. Ammonite, the Ammonites were here. Moab was here. Edom was here. They came up, and of course, we know that Edom denied them entry. Mm -hmm. And so they had to go around, and then they attacked, and they conquered these areas, and uh, the some of the people wanted to stay there. Not go over the Jordan. So, any other questions? 
Next week, we'll start the eighth chapter. Um, and then my plan is after I get back from, uh, from Guatemala, visiting Kim and Lisa Dunham there, after I get back from there, I'll want to take two more weeks, as I said at the beginning. I want to finish up Amos. So that will actually be chapter 8 and chapter 9, um, or chapter 8 and half of chapter 9, and then uh, we'll go into the restoration of Israel uh, in that when I get back. So that'll be the first Sunday after I get back to 13th, so it's probably the 19th or 20th of, of July, and then I'll take the following week as a recap. So if, you, if there's no other questions, then I'll remember, yes. Remember you can kind of tie the story together. Uh, they somebody asked where Samaria was. Yeah. And I said that Jacob's well was a Bethel. That's what the Samaritan woman. Oh yeah, way. very good. That's right. And so, but the, it could be the same well. Called. Yeah, it was dug by our our uh, father Jacob, I think. Yeah. Anything else? Thank you. Uh, next week, remember, we won't be meeting here. Uh, it will be a meeting in the auditorium. Uh, it will be led by uh, Elizabeth uh, Zeiger, who's our uh, summer intern, and by me. Uh, more of a dialogue between the two. Um, not sure exactly what she's going to sub, what subject she's going to have. It will probably be on identity and the importance of identity, identifying who you are uh, for teens, but it's also equal, equally applicable to adults because uh, for myself, I'm still trying to figure out who I am, and I probably will to the day I die. Uh, and for young children also because uh, it just, it's not a teen phenomenon, it's a, it's a human phenomenon. We, Try to figure out who we are. So at any rate, we'll have a we'll have a joint class between the teens and the adults in the auditorium next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, I don't know who's going to be teaching. I haven't found them yet, but, but I won't be because I don't have I, my voice isn't so good that I can I can have you hear me from from somewhere in Guatemala. All right, thank you. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.